on this episode of The Kinked Wire. We were no longer using iodinated contrast for non-emergent cases. We started using a lot of gadolinium, air, CO2, IVIS, ice, gastrographin, cystographin, pretty much everything you can think of besides iodinated contrast because you need to save it for those emergent cases and the stroke. You know, a stroke comes in, you can't just not have contrast to treat it. Welcome to The Kink Wire, the interventional radiology podcast from SIR Publications. You can learn more at our website, surweb.org slash kinkwire. In May 2022, Drs. Nikki Keefe, Kush Desai, Lorraine Kohi, and Gloria Salazar published in JVIR a paper on mitigating the contrast media shortage. In this episode, host Warren Krakow speaks with Drs. Keefe and Salazar about what led to the shortage, alternative solutions to contrast media, and more. Okay. Hey, thanks. So we're really lucky to have really at a kind of a critical time for radiology and many other specialties. Some great guests today. We've got both Nikki and Gloria who are here to talk about, unfortunately, the contrast shortage that we're all sort of sitting with now. And I guess just to start things off, Gloria, why don't you just give us a little bit of a background on what has led up to this contrast shortage? Thank you so much for for having me and Nikki here. Um, We started to hear first about this uh, contrast sort of mid-April. I think officially GE uh, has sent, you know, communication to their clients alluding to this issue. And I think really what led to it was the shutdowns in the factories in Shanghai. Personally, uh, together with the UNC team, we were debriefed on the situation about three, almost four weeks ago. In the meantime, uh, I was hearing from my colleagues in Brazil that they were dealing with this for a a little bit longer than we were informed. For me personally, being in a hybrid administrative and clinical position, it was pretty much overnight that we had to sort of think about how do we tackle this, this challenge of supply chain and how do we prioritize patient care and continue with our mission to provide care for our population. So I think overall, you know, I cannot pinpoint to one time, but I believe it was mid-April that we started hearing of this issue. That's really interesting that you had sort of a, a heads up or, uh, you know, your colleagues down in Brazil gave you some foreshadowing of what, what we're experiencing now. So, Nikki, what did you find? I know, you know, I, I want to make sure we shine light on the great article that you guys have written that JVIR is rushed, you know, to get out there. It's not, I think it's available electronically now, but obviously will be, you know, to be followed. But Nikki, what did you find in, in terms of the shortages? And, you know, I know you mentioned GE, Gloria, but what were your findings? Uh, well, thanks again for having us. And we're very appreciative to JVIR and specifically DNC for pushing this through so quickly. As you know, there's two producers of contrast in the world. There's GE and Bracco. Bracco is based out of Minnesota. GE predominantly is based out of Shanghai, but also in Ireland, they produce about 20% of their contrast there. So when they had the COVID shutdown um, with their zero COVID policy in China, that shut down the factory resulting in, you know, like probably about 70% of the world's contrast just not being produced anymore. You know, those that get their contrast from Bracco, Bracco continued supplying it to their clients exclusively Uh, So not every place is affected by this, but the vast majority of places around the world are affected by this contrast shortage. It's not just radiology. You've got interventional cardiology, uh, vascular surgery, interventional nephrology, ortho, a whole bunch of specialties. And then you think about the ramifications of that shortage when it comes to oncology patients not being able to image with contrast and emergency department patients. And it has vast ramifications for 
uh, all of our patients, not just in uh, interventional radiology. Yeah, I think it's a great point, Nikki, that the ramifications are kind of mind-numbing if you really start to think about it. You know, it really affects everybody and the, some of the downstream effects. It's interesting you mentioned BRCO. I, I happen to be in a hospital where they use BRCO. So a relatively smaller, as you pointed out, a relatively smaller percentage of contrast is produced by BRCO. I mean, to what extent are we sort of okay? I mean, at what point are they going to be pushed to the limits? some point, I would think there's just not going to be product anywhere to meet the demand. Is, is that accurate? So it's my understanding that Bracco is continuing to supply their clients with contrast and that they don't have any shortage. At this time, I don't believe that they're supplying any contrast to anybody that was not their client prior to the shortage. Okay. So if you somehow, you know, lucked into it, I guess mm-hmm. it was the luck, really. I mean, yep. with, with COVID, it uh, could have struck, you know, it happened to hit Shanghai hard, could have hit anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So Gloria, one thing that you did a great job in your manuscript of, of, I think, not only sort of talking about the uh, ACR guidelines or updated guidelines, but really putting across some great ways of triaging it. And I really encourage everybody to really kind of not only look at that, but study it and, and really understand how we can go about you know, now we're dealing with a, a limited resource and, and, you know, how we can go about it. But do you mind just going over a little bit of that triage list? So first of all, this was really um, an example of a great dynamic and flexibility in teams and leadership. You know, when when situations like this happen, you need to really make a decision really, really fast because the patients, as Nikki alluded to, they're waiting and there's high stakes situations sometimes with some of the diagnosis that we deal with both in diagnostic and interventional. So I think this was a test uh, of leadership for sure. But aside from that, I think the other part is that when uh, sort of making recommendations about patients and who should get prioritized, I think it's really important to uh, reach out to colleagues and to kind of understand what is your local need. For us, we really needed to work together, as Nikki alluded to, with the other departments, cardiology, vascular surgery and uh, urology, other departments, they utilize contrast. Uh, In addition to that, we needed to centralize our communications as well as our supply as a whole so that we could prioritize properly because, uh, you know, priorities within IR perhaps are a little bit different than than cardiology. And and if you look into categorizing the patients then into semi-urgent and then elective, you really need to to know or or to understand, um, you know, patient acuity. So making a decision in a rapid manner with proper input is is essential. And so, of course, ideally, I would would have loved to just kind of uh, talk to everybody and I in other institutions to see how they're doing it. And I think um, this is where, you know, Dr. Desai comes to play. You know, I reached out to him and I said, listen, what is happening in your institution? This is what we're doing. And then you kind of get some validation of what you're doing is is sort of not the correct way, but the most logical uh, way to proceed. So in summary, we basically categorize patients and patients that need to be done with contrast media. Then we also focus a lot, and our manuscript actually talks a lot about that, the alternative contrast agents. And we go back to CO2 and, and, and you know, the use of intravascular ultrasound and gadolinium. And, you know, we made a list of the procedures that we performed that didn't need to be rescheduled or canceled because we could potentially use alternative contrast media agents. So these were the two major drivers. And then in addition to that, obviously, we needed to prioritize oncologic patients 
sort of in a second uh, tier category where we, when we were told we had a supply uh, management, uh, a supply shortage, we decided to focus on the emergencies and then move the interventional oncology patients a little bit, a couple of days. And then we now continue to do the oncology and then have a third tier, which belong to patients that are elective, such as tumor embolizations that are non-malignant, such as fibroids, for example. So this was the work that we did. You really like almost overnight, but it really required a lot of conversation and checking in with the leadership teams and other disciplines. Yeah, I really like what, again, what you guys did. I think I saw an early version of your manuscript, but I I think this still holds up that algorithm of how to triage patients, sort of like you said. And again, I really encourage everyone to take a look at it. It's online and it's really important right now. So Nikki, have you seen that already, like in your practice? I think you mentioned you just came from a kyphoplasty. So uh, (laughs) no no IV contrast there, but um, is that, is that something you're, you're seeing already? Absolutely. So as Gloria mentioned, you know, as soon as we started recognizing this shortage of contrast, we drastically changed our practice so that we were no longer using iodinated contrast for non-emergent cases. We started using a lot of gadolinium, air, CO2, IVIS, ICE, gastrographin, cystographin, pretty much everything you can think of besides iodinated contrast, because you need to save it for those emergent cases and the stroke, you know, a stroke comes in, you can't just not have contrast to treat it. So we really needed to prioritize things. And I think we've done a great job here. And I'm sure other places around the country have been adapting as well. Additionally, we used to open up contrast and put it on the table for every case. And now we have a central contrast location where we have gotten approved for multi-use vials. So we'll draw up as much as we need for the case. So, you know, I just did a GI bleed the other day and I'm like, give me 20 of contrast. I'll get more if I need it, but I want to start with just 20 to try and minimize as much use as we can. So do you think, Gloria, that we'll sort of take this away in in a sense as a a lesson or, I mean, I'm sure our nephrology colleagues will love us, but what Nikki was saying is that thing like, okay, I'm going to try to limit myself to 20 cc's. If I really need it to see if if that branch is bleeding, I'll, I'll do it. But Do you see that being maybe a positive, Gloria, coming out of this? Most definitely. I believe the idea of low contrast examinations, uh, both in diagnostic and IR, has always been like in our minds. But I think now we're really, you know, being challenged to uh, put it into practice, as Nikki mentioned. For me personally, as an administrative and also a clinician, I would say, you know, we probably use a lot of contrast and we waste a lot of contrast. And, you know, like, do we really need to load the injectors on every single case that we do? Probably not, particularly with, uh, you know, software tools that we have in Android machines. We utilize them um, and we should definitely take more advantage of it. Similarly, we do have intravascular ultrasound. We have CO2 that had been long in place. And I think it's, it's really, I think, being revived with this crisis. So I believe we're going to go to a new normal for sure, at least at UNC. I mean, I think that's hopefully something good that will come. I, you know, I never think about these things. And RSNA and other organizations relatively recently have shed some light on radiation, you know, image wisely campaign and, you know, minimizing dose and such that, you know, maybe this will be the same with contrast. So Nikki, I, I know this is probably a hard question to answer because it's dependent on factors that really none of us can control. But what's your sense of how long this will last? Optimists are hoping June and the pessimists are hoping August. Oh, really? Okay. So uh, we'll see. Uh, it's my understanding that GE in Shanghai is back up to 50% production. 
Oh, and okay. so, but the point at which they'll be back up to full production and everybody will be restocked is probably going to still be some time. Okay. And do you know, Nikki, how is GE allocating whatever contrast they have? Is that no one knows? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. And, and I would add another uh, sort of issue that I heard from multiple people. Mm-hmm. I also heard that there's an iodine shortage um, in the world globally. Wow. So, and that I heard from, uh, from my sister, in, my sister is a neuroradiologist in Brazil. She's the first one that told me about this shortage. If that's the case, I would worry, you know, for us to keep in mind this conservation strategy. Regardless of that, our initial goal at UNC was to reduce diagnostic and IR to reduce usage of uh, contrast media by 70%. And we achieved that in the last couple of weeks. And the reason why we did that is so we can have contrast to start the elective cases. So I would say that, you know, if we can actually properly utilize contrast and continue the conservation strategies, we could potentially, again, go to a new normal where we might not need the 100% that we had before this shortage happened. And maybe we can operate around 70%, for instance. I don't know. I don't have the data yet. This still remains to be evaluated in our institution, but certainly we are much better than we were a couple of weeks ago. But Warren, back to your question about, you know, how are things going? As we know, China has a zero COVID policy. So just right. because they're opening back up now doesn't mean they're not going to close back up again. That's right. That's a, an excellent point. And as Dr. Fauci and others have said, the disease is going to do what it wants to do. So there's you know, no way we can predict that. And then, of course, each country, as you point out, China, other countries is, go, you know, is going to react differently. So it is very hard to predict. One of the things I find kind of interesting, and and I guess I'll throw it to you, Gloria, to start with, is that there's a whole sort of separated society of doctors, which are ER docs, who secondarily, I think, really rely on contrast. And at many institutions, they'll order the studies without, you know, having to confer with a radiologist or whatever. So they'll just routinely say CT of the abdomen with contrast or, you know, whatever. Have you had any feedback at UNC or elsewhere about how, if they're being sort of talked to or how they're reacting to that? At our institution, under the leadership of Maureen Cohey and, and our vice chairs, Lauren Burke and Mahmoud Mosa Basha Basha, they have been working very closely with the teams, particularly the ED. I believe that there's such a reliance, and I think this is really somewhat cultural in terms of having a CTA or a CT with contrast reform in the emergency department. And I think that, uh, again, you know, this is a sort of a, another change in pattern. I think we're going to see the emergency departments are going to have to rely a little bit more on screening and triaging the patients, as well as utilizing more ultrasound techniques to diagnose the same problems that could be diagnosed with CT. And and, I'll, and I, again, I'm coming from a place, I was trained in Brazil, where radiology um, departments were really a luxury, depending on the hospital that you were in. And in order to even have an ultrasound study performed, you needed to go there and ask for and come up with, you know, the differential diagnosis. If that study was really going to answer the question, you know, talk about, you know, like appropriateness criteria that was like, you know, without any, any computer or simulation models, we had to do it. So I think it's going to bring us back to that same thought, you know, are the exams we're ordering, is this overutilization? Are we really utilizing our resources? And perhaps it's going to help us really get to the major challenge of healthcare, which is the cost and the quality, you know, the, the balance of keeping quality while reducing costs. I mean, I don't intend this to happen overnight, but at least it keep us aware of possible changes and being flexible. 
That, that's a really good point. And, and again, you look for these sort of silver linings, I guess, in, in these types of events that occur. But if this could somehow filter down to affect healthcare costs, that's a, a really interesting point. It'll be very interesting. Boy, you gave me nightmares of boards there that you have to come up with a differential. Nikki, have you seen that at all uh, among diagnostic colleagues or referring physicians and things like that? Or have, have you seen, you know, sort of the brake pedal being pushed on some of the contrast? Yeah, so I think it helps referring providers also understand what other types of imaging can be performed for the same answer. So we're getting VQ scans instead of a CTPA or a tagged red blood cell scan instead of a CTAGI bleed. So it's really kind of both educational from that standpoint, as well as diversifying the way that we image patients. And I'm using, you know, I did a lot of Venus work and I'm using CO2 and IVIS for the majority of my patients now and not using any contrast. And from a referring provider standpoint, to understand that we have these other options. And, you know, you mentioned image lightly earlier. Well, IVIS significantly reduces your radiation yeah. dose. Yeah. If I can image all of my stenosis, I mean, I may only have to do two venograms of, with CO2, yeah. a pre and a post, everything else is IVIS. You know, another great point, and I and I think, you know, obviously it's best to have all choices on the table and we want this shortage to resolve. But that said, you guys are going to have such a great opportunity to do as you're doing. You know, I look forward to a lot more really good articles to come out of your group based on this. You know, again, we, we want to be able to have all the tools available to us without limitations, but I suspect there'll be some really cool findings that, you know, will help the whole specialty and as Gloria suggested, maybe help, you know, everyone in healthcare going forward. One thing we always like to do a little tradition uh, is that we like to finish off with a little bit of a closing question. So I'll I'll put it to you, Gloria. I guess, Nikki, you'll have a a bit of an advantage because you get to think about it. But uh, Gloria, if you weren't an interventional radiologist, what do you think you would be doing? And it doesn't have to be in healthcare or medicine. If I were not an interventional radiology, what I would be doing, I think I would be an artist. Is there a specific medium that you like or? Music. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm a failed musician. Or you play. Okay. And how about you, Nikki? You've, you've had a minute now to think. Yeah. I guess if I had to choose within medicine, I'd do vascular surgery. But outside of medicine, I'd be a vet for large animals. Okay. So there's some similarity there, I guess, uh, you know, sticking to something close to home. Well, listen, this has been terrific. Uh, Again, I encourage everybody to read that article, whether it's online or in print. It's really important reading right now. And as I say, I I look forward to some really more exciting things to come out of the group based on the experience that you're going through. And look, I mean, I think, you know, what you guys have done really sort of encapsulates what IR is. You know, you've taken a challenging situation and you've come up with a unique way and ways to handle it and deal with it. And that's what we do as interventional radiologists all the time. So good on you. Interventionalist adaptation is at the core of our specialty. It's what we do. That's absolutely right. Incredibly well put. So thank you both very much and all the best. Thank you. Thank you. That was Drs. Nikki Keith and Gloria Salazar discussing with Dr. Warren Krakow some ways interventional radiologists may lessen the effects of the contrast media shortage. We thank Drs. Keith, Salazar, and Krakow for their times and you for listening to The King Choir. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any thoughts or ideas for us, drop us a line at kingchoir.org.